Hey y'all, Lily here. I wanted to give a content warning for this episode, as in the second half of the episode, there is some discussion of familial abuse. If this is a topic that is hard for you, while we do not go deep into detail, I urge you to check the timestamps in the description so that you can listen to the episode safely. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. You say that, but until it actually does hear that, Sam? Do you hear that, Lynn? Coming on those podcast winds on our fine Wednesday morning. We, we've, we've done it. We've released two episodes in a week. We're, we're, we're living the high life. You are setting yourself up for potential failure. I'm setting myself up in a way that requires me to not fail so that this podcast opening works. <laughs> I see. Chaos is the default state of this podcast. The pressure cooker method. (laughs) The pressure cooker method, you mean. I see, I see. I mean, I've done two episodes a week before. We did it for Burn the Witch. It's not like this is new to me. Yeah, but I didn't expect you to edit anything for Burn the Witch. It was Burn the Witch. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I didn't really work that hard on it. I'm gonna cut that out of that. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Our listeners deserve the truth. <laughs> Our listeners deserve the truth. I, 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 I kind of phoned it in for the Burn the Witch episode. I admit it. Okay? What do you want from me? There was a crazy lesbian in that one. What do you want from me? <laughs> in fairness, I think both of us phoned it in when recording it. <laughs> Love the opening you used, though. Well... Yeah, that's the um, Ichigo Kurosaki cover of Asterisk. It's very good. It's a good one. Oh, yeah. hell. Oh, man. I'm gonna make sure I turn Sam up here. Ah. Well, I thought I wrote more than I did uh, this week. I will go ahead and open this up with... I had mixed feelings about these episodes. There's a little bit of good stuff. There's some good stuff, and there's also some bad stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, we're we're gonna get to that. I, in my opinion, I think most of the bad stuff is in your episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. We have God. a lot to talk about. Um, should we just hop right in? Let's just head into it. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and start with episode 42, Flash Goddess Yoruichi, comma, dances. I don't know why there's a comma there. It doesn't need to be there. <laughs> well, no, it's it's a descriptor. Because it's, it's not that Yoruichi is the goddess of Flash dances. It's that Yoruichi, the goddess of Flash, dances. Oh my god, Lin is right. Lynn is so right. We've we've already failed miserably. We haven't even introduced ourselves. This is this is the perfect opening for new listeners of the show. If 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 you're listening <laughs> We haven't even done our host names. It's it's been a week. It's been a long week. 
It's been a week. I I am running on roughly an hour and a half of sleep. We we are um I'm I'm slightly slightly um yeah, I'll, I'll just leave that to drift off. Um you're listening to It'll Wash Out, a Bleach Rewatch podcast. I'm your co-host Lily. I'm your co-host Sam. I'm your co-host Ghost Lynn. And this is episode 42 Flash Goddess Yoroichi Dances. We open on Renji in his cell. Arms restrained, laid down, he is confronted by the spirit of Zabimaru, who talks down to him for not having recovered yet. Renji is like, you could be nicer to me, you know. And Zabimaru is like, well, I'm ready to fight any time, so you gotta heal quickly so we can beat Zangetsu. Renji explains that defeating Zangetsu in Ichigo is no longer his goal, leading Zabimaru to ask who he intends to fight now. Renji clenches his fists, remaining silent, and Zabimaru disappears. Uh, for, for those listening and not watching the show, Zabimaru is like some kind of monkey with a snake tail? It's a baboon. It's a white it's furred a baboon. baboon with a snake tail. <laughs> and it's sick. I love I love Zabimaru's design. I completely I, really forgot that we it. saw it so early. Yeah, I I'm really into it. Um, it, it's really funny if this is, like, your first episode, like, if this would be your first episode of Bleach, for whatever reason, it'd be really funny to just come in and see Baboon with Snake Tail. <laughs> uh, on the bridge to Senzaikyu, we get the shot that ended last episode, with Yoroichi, now in her true form, stopping Byakuya from, at- from attacking Ichigo. Byakuya exclaims her name in surprise, and Hanataro expresses confusion out of never having heard the name. Byakuya states that she was the former captain of the Stealth Force and of the Squad 1 Punishment Force, adding that he thought she was dead since she has been missing for over a hundred years. This is a- I mentioned in the uh, Zoraki fight that the the Stealth Force had, like, its own squad system. Uh, this is just, like, extra on that. yeah. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's outside of the nor it's outside of the divisions that the rest of the captains and Shinigami are part of. Yeah, I I wasn't really sure on the details of this because it like it happened so quickly and I had to actually like I I looked at the wiki and then I looked at the episode and I'm like, wow, you sure did just say that and I'm not sure of all the details, but I will take your word that she was captain of the stealth the stealth force. It's like that sure was a bunch of words you just said. I do think it's very very funny though that Byakuya is like ah the captain of the stealth force has been gone for a hundred years, must be dead. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess the, I guess the assumption is. This person, if they weren't dead, they would come back, right? Yeah, it, it's just... She's she's the stealth force captain. Like, you'd think you'd realize she'd be good at hiding for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I do think we get more uh, in the future. But, yeah, I, I guess the, assu- the assumption here is... Uh, she probably... She may have even, like, just straight up faked her death. That's that's true. That I, I could see that happening. That sounds like a, Yoro- a Yoroichi thing. Ichigo thanks Yoruichi for coming to save him, but tells her to step aside because he needs to fight Byakuya. She's basically like, yeah, no, and she jabs her hand into his stomach, leading him to lose consciousness, falling onto her shoulder. Ikitake notes that she probably used a powerful anesthetic, and I believe he asks here if it's Gaten or Hoten, directly into Ichigo's organs, because that's healthy and asks what she intends to do. Byakuya interrupts and says it doesn't matter since she can't escape, but Yoruichi laughs, reminding him he's never won in a game of tag with her. She uses Shunpo, or Flash Step, to dodge a few blows from him, and, like, there's this cool exchange where she, like, does a Flash Step, and is like, ah, you're too slow, and then, like, does a slash at her, but it was actually, like, a piece of cloth that she made look like her, and she's actually flashed up further away, and she's like, actually, you're too slow. And, yeah, she gets away. I just, like, this, the flashed up duel is 
maybe my favorite. It's one of my two favorite things in this entire set of two episodes. It's just so good. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, but especially because, yeah, when Byakuya, like, almost, like, he looks, but she tries to get away. He shows up next to her and he's like, uh, you will never escape from me with a, a flash step that slow. And then suddenly she's, like, sitting on his arm. <laughs> <laughs> and she's and she's like, bruh, you will never catch me with a flash step that slow. Yeah. <laughs> it gets the fuck out. Yeah, d- like, did you forget my title? Did you forget that I'm the Flashmaster? Which Flashmaster is an incredible title, I just gotta say. Oh man. I do wanna say, like, this retroactively makes me like a little more upset that the intro to her true form last week is what we got. Because this Yoruichi is so much more cool. Like, God, I love her. Yeah, it's like, hey, y'all, did you forget that I'm the coolest character in this show? I hope you didn't, because here I am. God, she's so cool! After they get away, Byakuya simply starts walking away, confusing Ukitake, who asks him about this. I've lost interest, says Byakuya, who walks off screen. Rukia loses consciousness, and Yukitake calls for his third seats, Sentaro and Kione, who land in front of him and kneel. He asks how long they've been there, and it's been basically the whole time, despite Yukitake's orders not to follow him. The two third seats bicker over, the de- over their devotion to Yukitake, but he dismisses the matter, telling Kione to contact 4th Division to send a release squad for Ganchu. He then orders Sentaro to take Rukia back to her cell, and Hinatro doesn't want to let him take her. He, like, grabs Hinatro by the collar and explains he isn't doing this because he wants to, booger, promising to appeal to the higher-ups and get her out. This is a strange exchange. I don't like that Rukia's participation in the scene is just being a body. Yeah, <laughs> I really agree. Sucks. It, it really but- does suck. Like, she literally, like... Literally, the second Byakuya leaves, Rukia just ceases to exist. Like, she she just, like, passes the fuck out, and then is just a body. And it sucks. Yeah, like, I I understand that the, the intent is she's too, like, she's currently too weak from, like, not having food or whatever for, like, weeks to just even be able to walk around and stand. And the only reason she's able to stand, to like stay up during this entire time was like the adrenaline rush so as soon as Byakuya leaves like that flows out and she collapses but it's still like bruh the two third seats promise to get Rukia out while Hinatro gets Ukitake's attention who explains his motivation for wanting to help Ukitake explains that they can't kill the Ryoka since they probably know about Aizen's murder but the fact that Hinatro wants to help Ukitake's subordinate Rukia is the reason he wishes to help. We then cut to Orihime and Uryu, who are in disguise as Soul Reapers, as they stand by a squad leader who claims not to have seen them before. It's completely unimportant, and it lands in a gag about the leader being gross towards Orihime, as the camera points at her boobs. Uryu is like, my guy, my guy, you're a squad leader. You have more important things to do than propositioning women. And he gets, like, super angry, and then his subordinates, like, call him, and he leaves, and he's like, I'm gonna make you pay! And, like, guys, I I, I, I know you don't need me to tell you this. Orihime is 15. <laughs> like, guys. I do like that, or, that Ishida is like, is this really happening? Is this person really this shitty? Are Shinigami this awful? What the fuck is going on? Like, but yeah, like it's a terrible. It's it's just really bad to like put this in the show. Yeah, it. Lin Lin brings up a really good thing here. Not not just based on this, but like based on uh, what we were just talking about with Rukia, which is the through line of these two episodes is Kubo making up contrived ways of minimizing the heroines actual involvement in any action scene and yeah yeah it's the worst it's really bad uh it man season three starting off with a bang huh god 
Get get the trash out of the way early. Get it, just get it out early. Yeah, I'm really hoping this isn't setting the standard for this season because wow, Uriu defends her. Uh, blah blah blah. We already covered this. Um, Orihime thanks Uriu, who claims that defending her wasn't anything special. He simply doesn't like men like that. And then Orihime is like, no, it was incredible. And then Uryu starts to blush and then realizes that she's actually talking about her plan for them to wear disguises. And like, that's that's funny. Look, there, there's a joke there, I'm sure. In fairness, Orihime's plan really was incredible and she did everything about it. She did everything for it. It's great. Oh yeah, we, we got like a quick flashback of them like planning it out and like stealing the clothing. And then there is another gag about Orihime's body as she starts to change in front of him. Uh, which, she's why is the PS4 turning on? Hold on. Oh, lol. I think my... <laughs> okay, hold on. I, I just need to explain why this is happening. <laughs> Cedric took the PS4 Pro because they've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, and we took it back into this room because uh, Aiden wanted to play Final Fantasy, and it was only installed on this PS4. So my guess is Cedric probably just woke up and used the controller to, like, try and power on the PS4. Yeah, this is exactly what happened. They just walked in the room. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can you can take it. It's fine. <laughs> I was like, why, why is you this? Leave the controller because uh, that was your controller. We have like three controllers in here. Why would I bring in? A- okay. <laughs> okay. Just hold on. <laughs> Ruined everything. Come on, Cedric, you ruined everything. That was the funniest joke I've ever made. I don't remember anything I was just saying. <laughs> I did put it on top of the other PS4, yes. I didn't get a mic, but it's something That's fine, just close the door. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Everybody welcome our guest star, Cedric. <laughs> okay. What were we on? Ah, yes. We were directly on the stuff about, um, or he may, like, changing. No, wait, before I do, like, Lynn makes a good point, and I do want to go back to this bit, because, so, Orihime has the incredible idea of going, Hey, uh, Shinigami are just people like us, so we can just grab their clothes and pretend we're one of them. And then she beats the shit out of two Soul Reapers herself, without any yes, help. Yes, Because, turns out, and we were robbed to not have this on screen, Orihime is a black belt level karate user. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, it... Lynn also points out that uh, this important information gets treated as a throwaway joke, and also, like, the rest of the punchline is that Orihime's a ditz, and then starts changing in front of Uryu. Like, it's really bad. I do like the bit in this scene where she goes, Oh, right. I was thinking that you were like Tatsuki. Never mind. Yeah. That's that's right. Boys and girls can't change in the same room. And then she prepares a small side room and she's like, here you go, Ishida. Now you don't have to feel self-conscious. Yeah. I did <laughs> she, like that bit. She doesn't give a shit. She's like, look, we're we're in a crisis situation. It's fine. We're friend, We're non-romantic friends. It's okay. Whatever. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, but you probably feel self-conscious. Here you go. You can go into this small room. It's, like, it's a gag that lands in something funny. It's just the the way the camera views her body is really gross. And that's that's what leaves, like, the sour taste of, like, this entire, like, bit in there. Like, even when she goes into, like, not not quite chibi, but, like, the more gag style art. Like, her, her boobs and butt, especially, are very, very like exaggerated and it's like guys 
guys. Yeah, it's clearly an example of uh like anime of animators uh committing crimes. It's not like particularly egregious crimes as far as anime can go, but it's still like noticeable and annoying. It's still an anime crime. After they do get ready, she flips through like a notebook, recalling that she got the Soul Reapers they borrowed the outfit the outfits from to tell her about Senzaiku, leading her to conclude Ichigo is probably already there. Uh, Uryu states they should hurry and then ask what division they should claim to be, and Mayuri watches them depart. Mayuri at this point is like invisible. Yeah, he's. It's like he's got like invisibility paint but then it like slowly chips away it's a really cool effect but also it's like weird that it chips away right now at this point yeah meanwhile in a hidden location yorovichi lays ichigo on the ground panting and claiming that she is weak for being tired after only a couple hundred shunpo ichigo opens his eyes and remembers yorovichi attacking him and he grabs her demanding to know why she only brought him back why she only brought him back claiming everyone will be killed. Yoruichu calls him vain, stating that nobody has a chance against Byakuya, and then flips him onto the ground, telling him not to move if he wishes for his wounds to remain closed, <laughs> which I laughed out loud at, considering she stabbed him in the stomach with her hand! She stabbed him in the stomach to give him an anesthetic. I know, like she but... she shoved an anesthetic in there. It's fine. That was fine. It's okay. She still stabbed him with her hand. Yeah, but it's because you know the the best place for the healing medicine to go is inside the wound. <laughs> That's how it happens. Ichigo asks why she didn't take Rukia, and she's like, "Hmm, you're right. I could have done that." And then she's like, "But." You're the only one who could potentially beat Byakuya, but not without training. We get, like, a, a very, very short time skip that is just, like, a few hours later, and they're standing in a cavern. Ichigo has healed a bit, but Yoruichi states that they do not have time for him to fully recover. Ichigo is at the ready to train because of their limited time. Yoruichi agrees this is the best idea, and asks if he is aware that Zangetsu is already in its released form. Ichigo is surprised and compares this to Zoraki's Zanpakuto, realizing this is why its shape is so different, and why it never transformed despite him calling its name. So you weren't aware of it after all, states Yoruichi. That means you don't know it also has a second release. This is true of all Zanpakuto. She explains that the first form is called Shikai, and the second is called Bankai. It's a requirement of captains to have mastered Bankai, and all of them have, save for Kenpachi Zaraki, who is the only one to have ever become a captain without so much as knowing his Zanpakuto's name. And she continues here, like, to explain, like, this shows how much, like, the court guards especially value, like, his fighting spirit and all that. Yeah, they're basically like, well, you, so we have a way to do things, but you're so goddamn strong. Just, you know, come with. Yeah, it's fine. You know, we'll, we'll make an exception. She continues again, explaining that a Bankai is generally five to ten times stronger than a Zanpakuto's Shikai. However, it comes with a catch, and that catches even veteran Soul Reapers trained for at least ten years before mastering it. To which Ichigo's like, Yoruichi, we, we don't got 10 years. I, I don't know how to tell you this. We, we don't have 10 years. And Yoruichi's like, but I have a more dangerous method. We can do it in three days. And then she grins and the episode ends. I, I love this, but it also feels extremely, extremely convenient for her to be like, oh yeah, this, this method, this thing that takes like most Soul Reapers... 10 years to master? Yeah, I can teach you in three days. Uh, she does say that it's a different method than usual, and it's got some risks. So I assume it's a it's a bit like the, um... It's like tossing Ichigo down the well of death, where he was like, yo, this is a super, uh, like, weird way to do things, but you've got three days to do it or you die. Here's how we're gonna speed run it greater than D. All right, Ichigo, so first you have to clip your Shikai through the wall. <laughs> God, I'm just... 
It, it's looked good. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm hype. I'm I'm hype for Bankai moments, but it, it just it is very silly that this is the second time we've had like Ichigo tossed into a situation where he's like, this isn't normally how we go. But you know, this is the quick way. We're just gonna we're just gonna go. We're just gonna go. It's fine. Just uh, just gonna go. It's it's okay. It's good. It's fine. <laughs> Any uh, manga differences this week, Sam? Uh, the only thing is there. Well, there's two. There's one thing that's in. Uh, I just realized that it's actually for next. Uh, for next episode, and then the other thing is. We do learn that uh, Kotsubaki and Kione are both the third seat of their uh, division. So neither of them are the uh, are actually like the first or second seats. It's they're both yeah. third seats. And I read uh, that on the wiki, but I wasn't sure if we learned that in the show or not. Yeah, their shtick gets super old super fast and <laughs> every time they show up I'm like, "No, please not again." Like I to be clear, I really, really like Ukitake this episode. Like, I, I really enjoy him. I, I want to see more of him. I want to learn more about him. But yeah, Kione and Sentaro, I just... They, they bore me. Yeah, like, I am such a huge fan of of um, Ukitake just being like, Buddy, you weren't doing the right thing, but you tried to help my subordinate, so I'm not going to let you die. Also, there's the whole, you guys are probably related to the murder thing, so we need to investigate you instead of, we need to interrogate you, not kill you. But, you know, you helped save my subordinate, and for that, I'll make sure you don't die. <laughs> he really is, like, the good cop in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that's basically the only uh, differences in the manga, but there is a fun, uh, mini arc of, uh... After chapter jokes. Oh, good. It mostly focuses on the adventure of one of uh, Ichigo's classmates. I don't think she has a name, but it's basically like her summer diary. So it's like August first, sunny. Today is the annual festival. Fest uh, the annual fireworks festival. I ran into the Kurosaki family in the afternoon. They were already going crazy and running around screaming about something. My first thought was the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Who knows what they do to me in their condition. They might put me in a loincloth and force me to eat octopus dumplings through my nose just because it's a festival, etc. Oh well, oh my God. I guess I guess I'll skip the festival and go home. August 8th. Cloudy. When I was walking around town today, I happened to see the guy I liked. His name is Keigo Asano. He no. always has <laughs> He always has a little smile even when he's alone. He's so hot. Is he shopping with his friend Mizuiru today? While I was admiring Kago, somebody pulled him around the corner and tried to extort money from him. <laughs> Who is it? Nobody extorts money from my Kago. Uh, okay, you can do it, Midoriko. Be brave and do whatever you have to do to save him. On, on so one hand, I, I I love the fact that Kago has, like, uh, somebody, like, crushing on him. On the other hand, Ani, you can do so much better. <laughs> Don't worry, better has arrived, because the the next bit in this joke is, uh, it's, and all of these are, like, one panel thing, so it's all, like, little sketches, so it's, like, the, um, the Keigo panel, it's just Keigo looking hot, and then, like, Mizuiro in the back, and then it's a panel of Keigo getting, like, pulled around the corner, and then the next one is just Tatsuki looking pissed, with a shirt <laughs> that says, beat you till blind. <laughs> And she's like, and the the, um, the diary continues, or so I was thinking when I realized the person shaking down Keigo was his classmate, Tatsuki Arisawa, aka the karate-style killer ape. She's a legendary monster who's rumored to have crushed two biker gangs with only her left arm, despite competing in a high school summer karate tournament this summer. She's so scary, I think she could burn up a stray dog just by staring at it. I was about to pee my pants from her intimidating presence. Maybe that's how classmates show their friendship or something. So I went home early that day. Love that. I I am loving that this seems to be a, a way for Kubo to just say the most absurd facts about Tatsuki. And I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, she's like, hey, remember when Tatsuki got second in the national karate tournament with a broken arm? <laughs> 
and then after losing that tournament, she went on to defeat two biker gangs using only one of her arms. <laughs> Why are we not following the adventures of Tatsuki again? Right? Like, ever since I, like, started, like, when I used to be a Bleach fan, you know, back in the day, I always was like, man, I really want Tatsuki to join the group. Really do. And, God. God. What a show it could have been. Can, can you imagine Orihime and Tatsuki battling together as wives? The show we could have had. God. Uh, one final bit, like, th- this is, uh, these pan, these are from manga panels from, like, both episodes, but I- there's only one more, so I'll just mention it now. Okay. Is, uh, August 10, Sunny, I had nothing to do, so I walked over to the vacant lot and found Karen there with some kids, and a super flamboyant man I'd never seen before, who was screaming about something called the Karakura Superheroes. I really don't know what to do. Then I took a closer look at the man, and I realized it was Don Kanonji. But what was Karen playing, uh, doing playing with someone so famous? At first I thought I'd get his autograph, but I didn't know if I should walk up casually and ask them what they were doing or what. So I pretended not to see anything, and went home. That <laughs> night before I went to bed, I realized I'd barely played outside since summer vacation started. Oh, I just realized this is the continuation of the girl who... Uh, blamed the girl in Karen's class who, like, blamed her for letting the flowers die. Oh. Oh. It's just, you, like, because it's so sketchy and everyone's in, like, a chibi form, I couldn't tell her age from the from the panels. Well, I'm glad we, we're, I'm glad we're getting this follow-up. Thanks, Kubo. Putting your resources where it matters. <laughs> just giving us this, it is a little sad that, like, every day she's like, and this weird thing happened, and I said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going home and sleeping. <laughs> To be fair, that would be my response. She's not going to get to enjoy her summer by th- at this point. That's fine. Like, going home and sleeping is a fine response. I-, I would also go home and sleep. In fact, I may go home and sleep after this podcast. Sh- shall we go on a break? Let's go on a break. Let's get back into it with episode 43, The Despicable Shinigami. That's a word for it. The episode opens up with Ishida and Inoue hiding in a warehouse at night as she stays up late to heal her wounded fairy friend, the process being much more difficult than normal healing. Ishida encourages her, and the fairies do as well, saying that while doubt will make her abilities weaker, if she keeps practicing, she'll be able to use them just by calling their names instead of having to invoke, like, the entire attack frame. Uh, the entire attack phrase. Aye. Tsubaki weakly tells her that he'll be ready shortly, and after a bit more, the pair runs out into the alley, with Ishida pondering that Orihime is too kind to fight, and if she's too nice to fight, she'll risk bringing harm to herself and her friends. While it is somewhat in character for Orihime to have, since the start of the show, been portrayed as someone who doesn't like conflict at all, because there is a dearth of female characters in Bleach so far, and the fact that the other two main character ones are, like, one of them is in a prison and so weak from her imprisonment that she can't move on her own, and the other is not strong enough to fight the big bad, but she'll train the main character to do it. This is just, this is, like, really bad timing to have this, uh, this conversation with Ishida because it's talking about sidelining the only active woman left on the hero's side. And while you could have a story about, like, Ishida being wrong and having to get over himself and needing Orihime to, like, like, have this be her character arc that she gets over and eventually, like, uh, is more comfortable in combat. And I think the show is going to do part of that. I do not think it is doing it. It is going to be doing it in any satisfactory manner. I really hate this conversation. Uh, I... I, I think it's really, really boring to just be like, oh, she's too kind to fight because she's a woman. And it's just like, th- that fatigue gets like accentuated throughout this episode, especially later once the big fight actually starts happening 
and I'll comment more on it there and why it feels so bizarre and everything. Um, and I, I'm sure you probably have the same feeling, Sam and Lynn. And God, it's just, mm. yeah, it's just really annoying. Because so far, it's like we have, like, we've seen Orihime fail to fight someone, and now she's still struggling with the consequences of that later. Uh, but she's also done like some really cool shit with her shields. And it's like, yo, like, she's got, like, the coolest power set in this series so far. And yet. And yet. And yet, Kabaro refuses to use it. Moving on. Uh, Ishida's musings are interrupted by a drunk Shinigami, asking the pair which division they're from. And unfortunately, they say Eleven, which rings false, since he's from Squad Eleven. And it makes no sense that the battle-loving Squad Eleven wouldn't be carrying their blades. A quick note, this is the guy who shows up in the Division 11 montage, getting clowned on by Yachiru. Oh. <laughs> the man grabs Orihime's uniform and states that the emblem inside belongs to Division 12, but before he can ask more questions, he gets knocked to the ground by a squad, by a bunch of Division 12 Shingami. They say they're helping the pair because it's natural to forget your sword and Division 11 always causes trouble for them, but Ishida immediately distrusts them. He didn't want to find. He didn't want the other guy to find them out. Sure, but his questions were on point. Uh, so he rushes in to tell Orihime to get away from them, and they explode. Okay, credit where credit is due. Uh, to be clear, a lot of this episode, like later on, makes me really hate seeing Mayuri on screen. This does really well set the tone for just how evil he is. Like. I, I was actually horrified with this scene, and I, I thought it w did a good job. Yeah, I had completely forgotten that he turned his people into human bombs. Um, and then here we are. Yeah, they, they sure explode. Yeah, I, I literally actually out loud exclaimed, oh my god, when this happened. So, yeah, credit where credit's due. One of them turns to his captain, complaining that this wasn't the plan, but... Mayuri, who we, who we finally see, callously states that a released bomb sh should not return, and detonates him as well. But then the smoke clears, and we see that Orihime had the time to put up a shield and protect both her, Ishida, and the drunkard. And the captain becomes curious about Orihime's technique, and basically offers her a job as a research experiment. I'm not going to go into the things that he says, because they're just, like, weird. It's... Imagine, if you will, someone just giving you, like, the absolute worst version of a capitalist uh, ideals, like, low-paying job and presenting it in a good light, but then apply that to being a human experiment and getting surgeries and, like, weird experiments performed on you. And that's basically the speech. It goes on for, like, a really long time. <laughs> it goes on it for really several does. minutes. Like, it like, goes on for an uncomfortable amount of time. Because it, it basically, like, the over the next couple of scenes, it's going to keep cutting back to Mayuri, like, in the middle of the speech, because he's just ignoring everything and keeps doing it. So it's like, just keep in mind that this is going on, and I don't really want to get into, like, the, the things that he's offering. Uh, but at this point, the Division Eleven Shinigami notes that Orihime is crying for the exploded... Uh, the exploded guys and she even leapt at him to protect him from the blast risking her life for him like he's like oh my god she is so cool <laughs> she's like she she's not scared she's not crying because she's scared she's crying because she genuinely cares and she put herself in danger to make sure that i was protected from the assault as well i love her she, like even in this moment it's like damn orihime is so good <laughs> Uh, we cut back to Mayuri, like, just keeping the worst... He's just saying, like, the worst evil human experiments trope villain guy. And uh, he just keeps going until Ishida shows up, like, just teleports to his other side, bow in hand. The captain says he's not interested in Quincy's because he already finished researching them. And he reveals that he is, in fact, the captain of, of uh, Division 12. Ishida immediately tells Orihime and the Division 11 guy to run, and then shoots Mayuri's go-go gadget extendo arm when he tries to catch them, which upsets him a bit. Okay, so this is a good point to get into. 
first of all, I I, I want to go ahead and state that Uryu doesn't. He not only tells Orihime to run, as well as the drunkard, he explicitly orders the drunkard to take her by force if he needs to. And, like, it, it, it is another forcible removal of a, you know, female, like, you know, heroine, you know, literally being dragged out of the scene. Like, she is forcibly removed. She's literally carried. And what really frustrates me about this is, along with the conversation we got earlier about, you know, earlier being like, oh, she's too kind to fight, we we literally, just five seconds ago, got explicit confirmation that she'd be really useful to have in a fight in this situation. She's literally the only reason any of them survived. Like, yeah, like, she's the only one any of them survived. Uh, she's a first-degree black belt. Like, why doesn't she get to do anything in this fight? Yeah, yeah, that, that, we, we got confirmation. She's a black belt. She knows how to fight. She has cool powers that let her fight, and she just doesn't get to. And it, it's really hard to, like, suspend your disbelief for any reason other than Uryu needs to have this moment narratively, which, like, we get a really, really bad thing that I really hate later in this episode that, like, explains it away. But, like, it, it really, really feels like Kubo was just like, okay, Uryu needs to have this moment, so Orihime can't be here. She needs to go away because she's a woman and can't fight. And it's just, it's a through line of this show that keeps happening, and I think, I'm gonna be real, I think this is one of the worst instances we've gotten thus far. Yeah, because, like, Orihime, the character, understands that she can be useful in a fight, and is frantically fighting, is, she is fighting the, uh, the Shinigami to, like, get back to it. Unfortunately, the plot demands it, and she gets dragged off. It's just, it's, it's really bad. And it's like, you could pay lip service to the original uh, Yoroichi like, strategy meeting that was like, hey, if you meet a captain, run away. Nah, nah. But at no point in this fight does Ishida go, this guy is dangerous and I should try to run away. It's, I need to make sure that he doesn't go after those two, so I'm just going to stand and fight. It, it's just, it's really actively bizarre, considering we've had, like, up until this moment... We have had Uryu and Orihime building a friendship together, like, being legit just comrades in arms. Just, like, it, it's very, very bizarre, and it, I'm gonna be honest, it feels very out of character for Ishida to just suddenly be like, no, you have to leave. I'm doing this alone. Like, after everything we've been getting, it, it feels dishonest to the character and it feels dishonest to what we've been shown on screen in the show thus far yeah it's just overall a bad time honestly yeah yeah ishida was impressed when orihime beat the shit out of two random shinigami guys on her own without any help of himself and she did it so fast he didn't have time to jump into the fight that's how fast she did it like she, but she is can't a fight she is most certainly a better like hand-to-hand -hand fighter than he is absolutely which would make her a really good person to fight the uh, the third party in this battle the assistant captain just saying just saying it's all there like there's there's literally a character who like focuses on hand-to-hand -hand fighting and this would have been a fantastic fight like, just let Orihime fight Nemu, let her use her shields every once in a while to, like, do some surprising shit. Like, even if she can't do, like, her her spirit attack, let her have, like, a fi uh, fistica fight. It's frustrating. It's really frustrating. So, I do want to go ahead and here at this point in the episode, I really, really want to explicitly give a content warning. Like, there is some very, very heavily and poorly handled abuse theming that goes on here um, between Mayuri and his Lieutenant Nemu. 
Um, if that is something that is uncomfortable for you, I'm I'm going to be honest. Like, you probably should not listen to the rest of this episode because there is a lot of it, and it is it is bad. It is really poorly handled, and I do not have faith that it is going to be handled any better. I'm also going to be putting a content warning at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, there is no, like, important plot revelation that happens in this episode that you can't get just, for, like, from, ex- from next episode's recap. Yes. Um, uh, like, I'll, I'll go ahead and sum up. Like, should, do you want me to just go ahead and, like, give the very, very basic plot bones, or should, should we wait on that? Well, I'm gonna go. Th- I'm gonna keep going through the summary, but I, I'm not gonna go into like most of those details a okay. lot. Uh, I'm I'm just going to mention them quickly when they happen, but very, um, you know, I will try to have a light hand on uh, the details. Good idea. After the episode break, we finally get the Shinigami's name. He is Makizo Aramaki, a 10-year member of Squad 11, and he carries a struggling and yelling Arihime away from the fight, eventually knocking her out when she bites him. Uh, We return to Ishida and Mayuri, who ejects his busted machine arm, complaining about the pain while he injects himself with a serum that makes his arm grow back instantly. This, understandably, freaks Ishida out while he wonders if Nemu is the man's lieutenant. And thinks on, like, his he, he's basically, like, going through his strategy of, like, okay, is, is she a combat person? Is she a non-combat lieutenant? Uh, who should I be, like, focusing while I'm fighting both of them at once? He shows off his own fast movement, but Mayuri knows all about it. It's close to the Shinigami flash step, but it's the Quincy's Hiren Kyaku, a Quincy technique about creating a current of spiritual energy under their feet to move quickly. The captain praises Ishida's skill, uh, since he's never seen someone so young be so skilled at the technique, but he says he's busy and he's got to kill him quickly. And as such, he unleashes his blade, Ashisoji Jizo, which turns into a a three-pronged blade that seeps a purple mist. And while Ishida tries to figure out what its abilities are, Nemu tackles him, making him fall off the roof they were on, even as Mayuri slices at them both. Yeah. I I don't have anything to add here. It it's just it's very explicitly clear at this point in the episode that we are about to get a show that very much wants the women to be useless and fodder for the male characters and it's it's exhausting, frankly. Like, I was upset watching this episode, and not in the typical, like, you know, oh, this this villain is doing a bad thing. It's I was upset because it it was handled so genuinely poorly. I I just, mm, I I don't have anything to add there. It's bad. Yeah, I'm ba- and like at this point I'm basically going to skip the rest of the episode and just give like a very um short cliffs notes uh, episode uh, version of what happens because like a lot of the content of this episode is like really uh, like it's all in course of let's make Mayuris look like the greatest monster this show has ever gone and it's really upsetting but essentially we the things we learn are that Mayuri Sword's ability is to remove the movement of someone's limbs, but making it so that they can still feel pain because he's a sadist. Uh, Nemu is an artificial human. Uh, she has Mayuri's name because uh, he he basically calls her his daughter. Uh, but at the same time, he's incredibly abusive towards her and th- treats her as an object in his um, in his experiments and in his like. Uh, his outings as a Shinigami captain and like he's he's very violent towards her uh in like framed in a manner that's like it's it is framed as abuse and it's incredibly uncomfortable and then there's a long extended uh, moment where he goes on about the Quincy's that he's had human experiments on and he goes as far as showing Uryu a photo of his grandfather's corpse and you know, Ishida stands up 
ready to fight because that everything that he's hearing is horrifying. Uh, like it's the in- the entire back half of this, like the first half of this episode. There's a couple of okay scenes, and then there's like some really annoying. Oh, I guess Odahime is never going to get a fight moments, and then the entire back half is like this character is. Uh, really objectionable and i understand you're doing this to be like hey this is gonna this is a villain you should be happy that we're going to defeat him or something but it's just like it it treats like these serious things that are happening like the same way that it treats any other villain in the show and it's genuinely as upsetting and it's like i don't want to watch this episode again i don't want to watch it either i i want to go ahead and mention that I think I genuinely think the twist that the Quincy's were like experimented on by this guy and that specifically uh Uryu's, you know, grandfather Soken was like I I think the fact that he has a picture of Soken's corpse just with him and you know also like this the specifics of it being so can just feels so weirdly convenient for like Uryu to have a motivation during this fight that it just leaves like a really bad taste in my mouth it's it's bad it's it's not good it's not good writing yeah like the only the only way that that would make any form of sense is if because one of the things that Mayuri says early on is that, hey, you're pretty dumb if you didn't even take the time to research your opponents before coming into a fight and figure out who their strongest people are. So it would make sense for Mayuri to be aware that Uryu is a Quincy and to have specifically brought like the Soken picture with him because he's a Quincy. But he shows surprise that, that Uryu is a Quincy and then shows that he's not interested. Uh, there is a moment that I forgot to mention that is, um, and that is core to Ishida's uh, fighting determination going into the next episode, is My- Mayuri admits to being the one who essentially was put in charge of like keeping the Quincy safe, like it was a, ex- um, an endangered species in a nature preservation, and then he explicitly uh, engineered the death of Soken so that he could do experiments on his body. It, it's uh, gross. Like, it's it's really gross. It's ultra-contrived. And, yeah, like, there's a lot of of this episode that doesn't make any sense unless Mayuri, like, already knows who Ishida is. Other than just being like, let's really build up how much Ishida hates this guy. Let's just really, really, really show you, like, how terrible and how incredibly vile this character is. And... Just make you ask a bunch of questions, like why the fuck is he working for Soul Society? Why is he not in jail? Like honestly, like I I think a a big part of what frustrates me about this is that I am certain, and this is not me remembering where this goes because genuinely I don't, but I am certain that there's not going to be any actual commentary about this. I. The show is interested in making us hate this guy as a villain, but I don't think it's interested in actually telling us, okay, so why is this guy in Soul Society, the supposed, like, good guy place, like, what what world do we live in that Soul Society is, you know, where somebody like this gains so much power and... It's just not interested in exploring that. And that's upsetting. Yeah. Um, at this point, I'll go into, like, the couple of differences in the manga. Uh, because they are kind, they are pretty interesting, actually, the differences for this time. So, because the first one is, when Ishida is thinking of uh, Orihime's, like, combat capabilities, he doesn't... He does say that, you know, she's not suited to fighting, she's not suited to violence... But the way that he frames it is that he's glad that her attack is, like, wounded because that way she'll focus on defense and recovery. And she's incredible and super useful at that. And hopefully, if they get into a big fight, they won't target her if she's on the defense. If she's the one handling defense and she's not doing offense, he's hoping that people will target him instead of her. 
Uh, and that's kind of like how he frames the conversation that he has in his head about Orihime not being uh, suited to combat, to like hurting others. Which I thought was at least, not great, but at least better than how the anime presented it. Yeah, it, it's something. It, it's, it, it's, it's not like, it's not good, but it's something. And then we get, we get the backstory of one of the bomb guys. Like, the one who survives a little bit, we get his backstory, because he dropped out three times of the exam to become a Shinigami, and he he got in on his fourth try because he's a fan of Hinamori Momo, he, like, he wanted to work with her, and he ended up being in the 12th squad, so, you know, not the squad he's looking for, but he volunteered for the special assignment because it would give him a chance to go up in the rankings and maybe get closer to Momo, and in this version, he doesn't talk to Mayuri at all. He, like, he has the exact same words, like, oh, Captain, this wasn't how it was supposed to be. But they're all, like, in his head as he's thinking and, like, looking back in horror at what's happening before he explodes. Like, it's a it's a really effective uh, moment where you, like, you feel bad for this guy. Like, you're like, oh, that's a really sweet, like, motivation you have there. And then, oh my god, this is, this whole thing was such an awful time for you, and then you died. On On one hand, like... One of the few moments of the episode I did like was him going towards the captain, but, like, further reflection on it is, like, how can you look at, like, Captain Karatsuchi and not think that's the most evil dude ever conceived? Like, how can you, like, not see that and be surprised when he betrays you? Yeah, like, the- like, if Gin has a look to him that's like, oh, that man's going to betray you, is like, that man won't betray you because he was never on your side or thought of you as a person. It, the thing the thing is, the difference there is that Gin at least, like, presents as, like, jubilant in a way that's, like, you can almost maybe trust him, but, like... Yeah, like, Mayuri... maybe he'll steal your wallet or something, but, you know... It won't but be Mayuri too bad. is just so openly evil. Like, it, it, like okay, the, like I'm, I'm. What I'm picturing is we we have the squads at a table or something, right? We have all the captains, and they're like discussing what to do with the Ryoka, and like maybe some of them are presenting like reasonable solutions. And Mayuri's like, I got it. I capture them, and then I experiment on all of them for years. And, like, I, I'm just imagining the rest of the captains, like, looking at him for a second and then just continuing the conversation because they're just like, yeah, how did this guy get in? Like, is this normal? <laughs> He's the worst. Uh, the other difference in the manga is, like, if you are following along with the manga and you haven't read this chapter yet, please be warned that, the, like, all of the bad shit that Mayuri does... Uh, the abuse that he puts on Nemu, the way, the like sadistic way he's stabbing Ishida, the uh mention of the horrifying things that he's done to Quincy's, all of those things are presented in much more graphic detail and much yeah. more um, like they go very in depth with some of the awful shit that he's done to the Quincy's, and this is like, like this is top tier war crime material, like holy shit. Um, like, it's really, really bad. Uh, so, like, be aware and probably skip that chapter. Uh, it is gen some genuinely upsetting stuff. Sam, I'm gonna be honest. I'm really sorry you read that chapter. <laughs> it is an unfortunate exp ex part of, experien of experiencing Bleach, Bleach this week. But yeah, like, this is definitely, uh, my most disliked episode of this- of the show so far. Like, no no doubts about it. I don't know if it's this or, like, the early, early stuff with, like, Cone. Like, it might... Pro it's probably this. Well, the, so, so the thing with the Cone episodes is that there was a lot of stuff that we didn't like, but there was a lot of stuff that we did like in the episode and that we had a, a lot of interesting discussion about. This episode is just, like, abjectly, here's a bunch of horrible shit that's happening that's really upsetting. You've convinced me. I, I'm I'm swayed. This this episode sucks. Yeah. Do we uh, do we want to keep on going? Because I don't think we're going to change our mind or change mood anytime soon. 
Yeah, I, I think we can end the episode here. Like, I, I'm gonna go ahead and, like, if, if you're still listening, if this has made you, like, if this discussion has made you uncomfortable because of the themes presented, uh, the Mayuri fight is going to be continuing next week, and we're probably going to be getting some of the same things. I'm going to do my best uh, in writing the summary to avoid, like, going, like, real deep into descriptors of what he does to Nemu, because, like, I I think it would be bad to do that, and also, like, I'm not comfortable, like, going explicitly into detail. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think a blanket, like, of familial abuse, like, imagery is probably yeah. warranted. Like, I will, I will describe the events, and, like, if discussion is warranted, like, I, I will discuss it, but, like, God, it's... Mm. Yeah, Lynn, I'm gonna be honest, like, I, I'm giving you full permission, you can just skip next episode, like, next week's episode, like, it's fine, like, we can talk about it on the show, it's fine, it, it, th- this is a blatant statement, like, to everyone, anyone who's re-watching, like, the show, anybody who's watching the show for the first time, if an episode makes you uncomfortable, skip it genuinely just skip it we'll we'll get to it if there's plot importance we'll we'll talk about it you know you know what we do stay safe <sighs> this has been it'll wash out a bleach rewatch podcast you can find us on twitter at bleachcast you can find me at lavender underscore pause and you can email the show at iwobleachcast at gmail.com you can find me at ssbslj on twitter and God, I hate this man's. You can find me at Lotundus Colic on Instagra. Instagra. <laughs> okay, this is the joy I needed in my life. And that is L-O-T-E underscore Lake on Instagram. Sorry, Instagra. And God, yeah, we <sighs> What a way to start season three. What a way. God, I hope this is the worst the show ever gets. God, I hope, please, this is the sh- worst the show ever gets. <laughs> Stay cool, Chads. Commitment is a strong word. Just end the episode. Kimi